Get your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture We'd stick around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around Brought to you by all new Mute Crates Free listeners will be able to hear the first three of us on this podcast, but those who wish to unlock special feature Alex Wayne will have to either listen to this podcast for the next 30 hours and you'll be rewarded with uh, additional content, or you can just slip us a few shekels and we'll unlock it for you now. Sponsored by King Dice's Casino. We bet your life you'll have an amazing time. (laughs) Good game-related content there. Uh, top, Top quality satire. And um, borderline Faustian pacts in games. Uh, how is everyone today? Very well, mate. Very well. Tired. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think this one's going to be known as the hungover cast. Uh, Clive, <laughs> Feeling pretty rough. Clive's had a few shandies. Uh, <laughs> yeah, shandies. Dave is just ill. To try and over his hangover. Yeah, Dave is just ill, I think. Um, <coughs> yeah. Flux, you're sounding pretty, pretty chipper. As normal? Yeah, yeah, you know. Had your shreddies this morning? I imagine you're someone who eats shreddies, I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, treat myself to pan au chocolat from Lidl. There you go. (laughs) Insight into my Saturday life, mate. (laughs) Did you heat it up? Yeah, yeah. Lidl's have bakery sections. Have you not been to a Lidl recently? Yeah, I just, I'm just, this isn't the man I used to know. I mean, um, pan au chocolat. (laughs) Don't you live in Bolton? <laughs> I feel what's like Palo Chocolat isn't that mate? posh. It's, uh, yeah, it's a posh end. It's a ch- chocolate pastry, mate, you know. Um, right, you're here for... If you can buy it in my Asda, my local Asda, then it can't be that posh. Right, yeah, fair enough. Because <laughs> yeah. they don't even have falafel. <laughs> which, outrage. I asked them, I was like, uh, have you got any falafel? He's like, what? <laughs> what's falafel? I was like, you're joking. <laughs> so I uh, went in and bought some soy products. This is the most middle class beginning to this yeah, podcast that's out. ever happened. Yeah. Clive going on a rampage about the lack of falafel at his Asda. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had, had some corn chicken style pieces and uh, some soy milk and I can't remember what else. Oh yeah, one of those naked bars. <laughs> was the most middle class shop ever. Yeah, that is, yeah. I got so the most, that a lot. The most middle class, yet yeah, also somehow student-y shopping trip you've ever managed to make. I've got all my essentials here: a naked bar, some chicken-style pieces, yeah, just and some soy milk. <laughs> Don't ask what I'm going to do. <laughs> That's a hell of a combo. Uh, you're here oh, yeah. for Games episode 25. Um, I'm your host, Alex Wayne. Uh, as you've already heard, we've got Dave Peeling sniffing in the Hello. house. We've also got Clive Fisher hungover as hell. <laughs> Hello. I'm fine, it's just my throat. And we've got the games expert with his pan of chocolat, James Flux. <laughs> Hi there, everyone. la da We are going to jump straight to the man who is well-breakfasted, um, near Bolton somewhere. James Flux, what have you got for us? The first game that I've got for us today is uh, Cuphead, uh, the Xbox One exclusive, uh, developed and published by Studio MDHR and released on the 29th of September this year. Cuphead's a run-and-gun style side-scroller um, with a kind of frantic pace and a cartoon style. 
Uh, the story's fairly simplistic and follows the protagonist, Cuphead, and his brother, Mugman. Uh, and after a dice game with the devil, um, they become indebted to him for their souls and agree in a Faustian-style pact to collect other souls for the devil in the hope of mercy. Um, I'll kick straight in with the with the pros and cons. I mean, the style of this game is really, really enjoyable. As I said, it's got a kind of uh, early to mid-20th century cartoon style. It's hyper sort of technicolour amazing colours all over the screen. The music's absolutely fantastic um, and kind of, again, draws from those uh, mid-20th century influences, a bit of uh, barbershop, a bit of jazz, all that sort of stuff. I think uh, my personal favourite is probably the uh, song for the Devil's Right Hand Man, King Dice, in the gap between stages. is an excellent sort of uh, jazz crooning jazz crooning track in the background it's absolutely amazing the cartoony style obviously draws influences from disney i don't think that's a, i don't think that's a spoiler with cuphead himself i imagine uh, an, a pretty clear nod to steamboat willie originally in the way he bounces up and down um, but there's all sorts of cartoon influences all across the show um, and the style allows a total creativity for Studio MDHR in designing the kind of bosses and the level styles so that you can have to run up and down the ceiling on one level and f switch between the floor and the ceiling or allows you know a clown to turn into a roundabout on one of the boss levels. It really gives a total sort of creative style and it gets you really immersed in it with the music and the visual style and everything. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, I think another pro is the sense of achievement it gives you. I think it's pretty well documented that Cuphead is exceptionally punishingly difficult, and I'll come I'll come to that a bit more later. But because it is so difficult, what it provides is a genuine sense of achievement when you complete a level. Like often when you play games, kind of particularly in the outset, you're like, oh no, these levels are easy, and you don't feel that sense of accomplishment. But Cuphead is so punishing that when you actually do complete a level, you're like, oh my god. I can't believe I did that and you, you genuinely feel a bit elated which is absolutely excellent personally I'm normally quite prone to frustration when I can't complete a level but I think partly because it is so renownedly difficult you don't feel that as much because you're like it's fine I'm not meant to complete it the first time so you don't feel like you've you've let yourself down or you've played badly you're like no this is the way the game works it's really hard you've got to progress you've got to keep doing it and keep doing it until you get better and better and better and then you when you eventually do complete it it does give you that real kind of sense of achievement um I think another another real pro is the, the world's really engaging the levels are sort of clustered in groups of about five to seven bosses on each island with a couple of run and gun levels um, also thrown in. So the, the main focus is the boss battles. Um, and each, like I say, each one of those is contained on a sort of self-contained island that you can walk about and there's some freedom as to in what order you complete the levels but some bits of the island will only unlock either if you find a shortcut or if you've completed a previous boss. But when you walk around the island there's just a number of other sort of the characters that you can interact with that give you sort of different different things so some might give you coins which helps you buy weapons unlocks and things like that um and but some sort of give you sort of secret little hidden extras maybe a, a new barbershop song or on the third island there's a dispute between two of the characters as to what style of music's better and the background music eventually changes between a, a sort of big band 
style and a minimalist jazz arrangement of the same song and by talking to each one you can kind of change the background music which is really really interesting and really fun to have those characters there. Um, in terms of criticisms I suppose we'll jump straight to the one that I previously mentioned which is the difficulty. Like I say personally I didn't I didn't find it frustrating. I found I found in fact a bit the opposite that it gave me that sense of achievement. But it is punishingly brutally difficult and I imagine that is going to be a negative it is going to put some people off. Um I'll I'll, I'll sort of I'll give you an example. I'm 90% through the game. I've only got the two final bosses to defeat now. And across the 23 levels I've completed and the few attempts I've made on the first of those two big bosses, King Dice, <coughs> I've failed a total of 745 times across wow. those across those 24 levels. Say that number again. Keep, uh, 745. The oh, game I, keeps track for you. I would have given up by now, I think. <laughs> Honestly, it, as I said, it's punishingly difficult and... It's designed It's designed that way. It's designed that you're not going to complete a level first time. You're just not, um, particularly on the bosses. It, it's just impossible. Each level is only, I would say, approximately two minutes long on average. But you just die so many times that it, that's what makes the game as long as it is. Because you start, you'll probably die in the first stage a few times, then you'll get to the next stage of the boss a few times, and so on and so forth. And you, you'll progress through as you learn how to defeat that bit of the boss and then practice it and become better. And like I say, it leads to that sense of achievement. But I can imagine, like you say, I can imagine some people like, no, I don't want to play the same level. What um, My average is somewhere around 30 times, I suppose, to complete. And some people just go, no, this is too repetitive or this is too difficult and, uh, and might want to drop out. And I could maybe understand that. Perhaps if I had another criticism, it would be that I enjoyed the run and gun levels maybe a bit more than the bosses. The game's clearly focused on the bosses and collecting those soul contracts from the debtors to the devil. But actually, I I quite enjoyed the run and gun levels. There's only two of them for between five and seven bosses per island. So if I was really nitpicking, I'd maybe say that I'd want maybe one more of those on each island because um, I, I really, really enjoyed those. But again, that's a bit of a nitpick. In summary, I loved Cuphead. It was absolutely fantastic. And I'm still enjoying it. Yes, the gameplay is fast, frantic and punishing, but it's genuinely fun too. Particularly, I have played a couple of times with a friend and it just there's nothing else like it because it's so difficult and it's so intense. But also, it's a big cartoon style and it sort of cuts through that intensity and just makes it feel really, really fun. It's Like I say, that punishing difficulty also gives it that kind of real sense of achievement. And whilst for some it might be frustrating, I didn't find that at all. I'm genuinely torn what score to give this game out of 10, between 9 and 10. I, I don't think I've ever given a game a 10, and this is I'm genuinely considering it. But I'm, instead I'm going to take the coward's option and go 9.5. You <laughs> yellow-bellied craven. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I hadn't heard of this game, to be honest with you. I don't know how, but I've just been Googling it while you've been talking there. It's got a quite unique visual style, doesn't it? I like the look of it. Um, has this been a, sort of a big release? Has it been popular, or is it more indie market? So, yeah, certainly within the Xbox community, I think it I think it grew quite big. It is an Xbox exclusive, as I said. Um, or an Xbox One exclusive, I suppose I should say. Um, but... 
it, it, when it when it first came out, it's the, the studio's first game, and I suppose to an extent it is an indie title, but it got a lot of traction when it was shown at E3s, and games journalists really, really sort of t- took that visual style and took it like it felt new and it felt exciting, and so it, it did get a lot of press on release. Um, so yes, I suppose it is an indie game, but it it maybe feels less indie because it was so well hyped coming out and it's been so well scored by a lot of games reviewers it's won all sorts of awards uh, best debut game for the studio i think it's won a few uh, game of the year style awards um i think there was one for best visuals it's, it's won all sorts of awards at various events Cool. Has anybody? I don't think we have another Xbox owner here, so I doubt anyone else has played it. But anyone else familiar with this? Um, I really want to play it. Yeah, if it was on PlayStation, I'd have got it by now because it looks awesome. But yeah, same. It's on. Is it on Steam? Flux, did you say? Uh, yes. Yeah, it is on PC as well. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, don't... but I don't think mine could handle it, so I've not gone for it. Yeah, uh, I think my laptop can barely handle solitaire, so I think that's out for me. Uh, is it is it absolutely Xbox exclusive forever, or is it like a Xbox yeah. exclusive for a while? I mean, as as far as has been announced thus far, it's an Xbox exclusive forever. But I wouldn't be hugely surprised if in the new year they said, "Oh no, yeah, fine, we're releasing it for PlayStation Four at some point." Um, I'm not sure whether Microsoft had a huge hand in the development. Now it's possible they yeah, provide a, a lot of upfront money or something and and call it the exclusive as a result of that. I don't know. I think I've I've done quite a bit of looking into this because I I would love to give it a go and I am only a PlayStation and a Switch owner, but um, I I don't think that Microsoft did have much of the much in the way of development. I think it's just a very small indie. They've built a game coded for xbox and the the exclusivity that microsoft have paid for is about two two or three years it's quite a long one and um they've they've basically said that by that point they won't be in the position to then recode a game they don't want to recode an indie game for uh, uh for another console they don't know where consoles are going to be in that time so it's not that xbox well, Microsoft have, have deliberately made it exclusive for them forever. It's just that the economics of it look like it's unlikely to ever move off Xbox. That's disappointing because probably not going to get an Xbox. Can't really afford it. Well, n- not not while owning a PS4, but I'll have to uh, borrow an Xbox off somebody at some point because that sounds really good. Yeah. Is that is that your first is your first close to a ten out of ten game that you've reviewed uh, here? Uh, no, there were definitely some others that have that have got high marks. Um, Arkham Knight did, and Fallout Four did as well. Mm. But again, I've rarely, rarely. I think both of those were nines. I've, I'm not sure I have ever given a ten, and and this is probably the closest I've ever come. It ge- genuinely, really, really enjoyable, irrespective of the. Uh, and I really can't emphasise this enough: punishing, punishing difficulty. You like punishment? We get it. you're a masochist right and from one 10 out of 10 game to another 10 Clive Fisher what have you got for us you thought you were going to go to me next but fine (laughs) I I did as well and I'll still type it out my my notes but um, screw it I'll wing it I'll wing it Um, I'm going to talk about Super Mario Odyssey 
uh, which came out on the Switch a month or so ago, possibly before. It seems like a while now, actually. But uh, which is the long-awaited return of 3D Mario. The last real 3D Mario was uh, probably back on the Wii with Super Mario Galaxy 2. Uh, Super Mario 3D World uh, on the Wii U was obviously 3D, hence the name. But uh, many don't count it in that main canon of games as it's kind of quite different in style and more similar to the 2D games in its kind of level design and linear nature and uh, 3D land on the 3DS. Uh, Super Mario Odyssey, for me, is like, Basically, 3D Mario games are my favourite type of game. So, for me, um, Super Mario Odyssey is most similar to Super Mario 64, which is, so far, up until this point, my favourite one of them. In that it's more explorational than level-based. It's not... um, It's, yeah, you're exploring these really big levels rather than necessarily doing a a more linear level, as often is the case in Mario games and is definitely the case in Super Mario 3D World. Um, Here you have moons... Whereas in Mario 64 you had stars, and um, in 64 you would kind of enter the painting for the world and choose a specific star to get, but you could get other stars if you bumped into them that weren't the one that you'd pressed on to get in. What it did do then after you got a star was it bumped you out of the level again and you'd have to go back in. That's where Odyssey's different. Odyssey, you just start... (coughs) You're in in a kingdom, sorry. (laughs) Um, And you can get any of the any of the stars, really, to start with, although that some do unlock uh, minor spoiler after finishing the game. So there's some that aren't available right from the start, but you can just get any of the stars, uh, any of the moons even, and there's absolutely tons per level. It's just ridiculous. Uh, I've got about 400-odd, and I'm not even halfway there, let's just say that. Um, as, us- as usual, sort of beating Bowser and seeing the end credits is only the start but this is perhaps one of the smoothest rides to the finish ever, I think, of a, a Mario game. Um, there's so many moons that you only kind of need a fraction of them to finish to finish the game up to the credits that you never really hit a wall. Sort of if you're struggling with a particular moon, you can just go and try and find a different one. Or So you never really hit a wall and get frustrated particularly, which I thought was cool. It was a nice smooth ride to the end. I did finish it thinking, was that a bit too easy? But then uh, <laughs> stuff that happens later is definitely not easy. So don't worry if you're... Uh, up for wanting to be challenged the the newest mechanic is that the it doesn't have superpowers or such he doesn't have a star or the wing hat or all that kind of stuff that he had on 64 um he doesn't have a jetpack like on sunshine he's got uh, a cap cappy that he can throw and it takes control of th- certain things not everything in the game but quite a few of the enemies you can control i think it's about 50 odd um including goombas the fish <laughs> whose names have escaped me for some stupid reason. Just lots of the uh, bullet bills you can control, all sorts of things. And just by throwing your cap at them, you kind of become them and control them. Sometimes those, or quite often, the enemies are wearing hats themselves and you have to knock their hat off first before um, you can take control of them, Uh, which leads to just lots of hilarious um, enemies wearing ridiculous hats, which I absolutely love. I love the fact that everything in this game has a hat on. Um, there's birds in each level that have hats on. There's yeah, Goombas wearing sombreros. There's sometimes about 10 Goombas stacked on top of each other wearing a sombrero. It's just ludicrous, and I love it. Um, the That kind of mechanic plays into, for me, about the... This is where I'm starting to wing it. I've run out of notes. <laughs> <laughs> plays for me into what I love most about the game, which is just how it's just a massive kind of... It's just a huge joy. Everything is joyful about it. It's bright, it's colourful... 
Uh, it's just a massive, big playground to mess around on, take control of stuff, try and figure out how to get to the moons. There's nothing is sad in the game. Everything is positive. It just, like I say, it just completely radiates joy. It's really, really magical in that sense, I think. And I've always loved Mario games for that, and that they haven't, you know, felt the need to be gritty or anything. They're just kind of. And what I really love about this one is just how surreal it is. It's like some of the stuff that you do is just, just insane. It's just like what the fuck. And especially some of the like transformations that you do, and some of the level designs and. I just think it's absolutely fantastic. I love that there's so much to do and that even though now I've kind of on 400 Moons kind of stopped playing for a bit, I've given it a bit of a rest, I'm definitely going to go back and I'm excited by the fact I've got, you know, about as many more to get, which is awesome considering how much I've, how much time I've spent with it and I think you can still, it's a game where you don't have to obviously 100% everything. You could get to the credits and feel, you know, a satisfaction of, oh, I've completed the game. But there's, you know, you've really only done about a quarter of it, if that. But I think that's a good sort of way to vary the difficulty, I suppose, without having a easy, normal, hard setting. <clears throat> if you if you say a kid, like when I first played Super Mario 64, I just got to the credits and then that was me done. Whereas when I went back to it later, I wanted to get all 120 stars. And that's where the real sort of difficulty came in. And it's the same with this. You could probably quite easily get to the credits, but finishing getting all the moons requires a lot of skill <laughs> there's a few very difficult ones that I, uh, i'm struggling with at the minute but it's just yeah I, i'm in love with this game i think it's brilliant my one sort of gripe with it that doesn't live up to what 64 did in my opinion is the hub world so 64 had like a little castle and you could jump into the paintings and i think that was better than on here it's more of just like a map and you kind of just click on the kingdom and go to it it doesn't feel as tied together the world i suppose which is the one thing i'd say is a you know a negative but which is a little bit of a shame but i think overall it's it's better than 64 you can't really argue i mean i love 64 and i don't know if i still prefer it but it's probably purely nostalgic because i don't know there's just so much more to do here there's every uh, world is quite big there's king super amazing kingdoms like um the metro kingdom for me is one of the best levels in any game ever um i just think it's absolutely fantastic it's so full of imagination the ending of it is absolutely brilliant um, it calls back to like really old Mario games. So if someone like me, you've played pretty much all the Mario games there is, it uh, really kind of scratches that itch and <laughs> just brings back all these memories. And there's so many silly things you have to do in that level. That, for people who don't know, is the level that's, uh, as it sounds, it's a big city and there's, you know, normal sized people there, as well as Mario, who's like, you know, basically a dwarf compared to them. Um, and it's just so much ridiculous stuff that you can do in this city. And yeah, it's just, I don't know what else to say other than I absolutely love it. It was, I still haven't decided whether I prefer this or Zelda, which is saying a lot considering how much I loved Zelda. And I do think Zelda, like I say, feels a bit more tied together as a whole because of the big open world thing rather than this being a selection of levels. But I don't mind that as such. Um, they're, they're very different games. This is more of a, you can just get in, play a little bit and uh, come back out. In fact, it's perfect for playing on um handheld for that although a couple of the movement things are a bit annoying when you're in handheld mode like where you have to shake the <laughs> have to shake the thing you have to shake the bloody entire switch which is a little bit annoying it would have been good if they'd come up with a, a bit of an alternative to that but yeah absolute joy to play everyone should play it it's fantastic it's it's a 10 easily uh for me wow and another one I absolutely love it 
I know Dave's played this, so I'm interested to see what you think, Dave. Yeah, um, I, I absolutely loved it. It was, it, it is absolutely incredible. Um, the 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 mechanic of the hat is so is so clever and so well done, and it adds a fantastic dimension to each and every one of the kingdoms as you get there. And there's so many like advanced things you can, and you get later in the game that you can do with the hat, like jumping, throwing the hat, and then jumping onto the hat, mm. and then diving, and all that kind of stuff, which is cool. That it's in there that you don't need to be able to do it, but it's there. No, absolutely. And I, get, I guess you, you could be almost intimidated by the amount of things that you can do and the amount of button combinations that there are there for the hat. But unlike mm-hmm. lots of games where um, a mechanic will be introduced at the start of a level and you have to use that mechanic to have completed that level. There's none of that in this. I think you can do basically everything with some other combination of of jump or move or, or something, if, if there's one that you particularly like. I think that's right. Maybe there are a couple of power moons I haven't quite got to yet that, where that's the case, but you can definitely complete the level, complete the game to Peach um, with with a, a fairly limited understanding of of all the various different control options available to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess if if I had one, if I had one criticism, it would be that each kingdom is is um, is is so well done, so well developed, so full of detail and unique um, features and design points um, that there are too many of them that there are whole there are whole kingdoms that I feel like I just totally blitzed through um and did not pay enough respect to the to the design of um uh because it, it's 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 seemingly endless unlike lots of sandbox games where you you start off thinking this is incredibly this this is so big I can't believe there's so much stuff to do by the end of it, you are bouncing off the walls at the edge of the map and you kind of, you know how big it is. It's big, but you know how big it is. This, I don't feel like I've ever got close to understanding how big this thing is. It's, it's <laughs> monstrous. Yeah, and it's the... the, the- it's a good point because like, a lot of the levels aren't even actually like huge in particular, but they're so dense, like you were mm. saying. There's so much stuff to do within that space. Like, for example, the Metro Kingdom isn't that huge when you're talking about, you know, just pure ground mass but (laughs) there's so much to do that it's just ridiculous yeah every square inch is packed with something to do yeah that the musical finale in new donk city is a particular highlight i love the design of the sand kingdom the (laughs) the desert that is also extremely cold with the um with its kind of mexican kind of theme um and there there are so many highlights i wouldn't know where to begin this is easily a solid solid 10 it, it every every bit of it i enjoyed playing it was something you could drop into and just play for a few minutes it was something you can totally sesh for 3 hours it's yeah um, yeah it's endlessly fun and cheeky and some of the things absolutely <laughs> made me spit my drink out laughing there was so daft <laughs> Um, when you first throw your hat on a on a real on a totally realistic looking T Rex and and it's absolutely <laughs> yeah. nuts. Some of the stuff is absolutely nuts. Um, um, but it's all and then so, your T Rex has got a moustache and a hat. But it's it's also well clearly <laughs> built into the core uh, of the game. It's not you know a, a, a daft Easter egg. It's so fundamentally part mm-hmm. of the fun of the game. Um, yeah, I can't. 
I can't recommend this enough. I don't think you have to be a big Mario fan. I'm not. I'm not saying I've got anything against Mario. I've just never played that meant that that much of it. I think the last one I played would have been mm-hmm. uh, Super Mario Galaxy. The first, yeah, the first Super Mario Galaxy on on Wii. That's about all I've ever played because I wasn't a big Mario fan in, in the start, um, and a little bit of Mario Kart. But other than that, I, I've not. But th- it's this is still totally accessible and fun. If you like fun games, this is absolutely totally for you, regardless of what you think of Mario. Yeah, definitely, cool. it is. The epitome of a fun game, like you know, one that's not bothered about the story. It's just you're just there to yeah, puts a smile on your face. I, I, I think, <laughs> and it's just complete escapism. Uh, the, the, you can if you've bought if 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 you if you were thinking of buying a Switch, and you get Mario Odyssey and Zelda for it, you have immediate. I think you've you've got your money back immediately. It's so worth it. I've never regretted it. I've never not regretted a decision. Yeah, you know, I have the very opposite of buyer's remorse. It's incredible that just with those two games, you get two immediate 10, 11s that are absolutely outstanding games. Some of the that the, they've put yeah. two out in three months on the same console is is incredible, absolutely incredible. Yeah. Well, that is that is reassuring because I'm doing exactly that very soon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you yes, won't, won't regret it. You'll get you'll get weeks weeks and weeks and weeks of pleasure out of it and you won't regret a minute of it i just get this like there's something about those two games in particular where i've played lots of you know decent games this year but none of them have just had that kind of magical feeling that i've had when i've played those two they just have something about them that's puts them into that 11 category like you say (laughs) not even a 10 just absolutely Magical, which is really cool. So yeah, two in one year—that's mega impressive. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what's happening next year for the Switch. But yeah, I'm already happy with it. I'm so happy at the minute that loads of indie stuffs coming out because uh, I'm playing a lot of that handheld. So I'm glad that all the stuff's starting to be ported over from PS4 and stuff. And if it is available on both, I tend to go for the Switch because I can just play it wherever I want, which is cool. Excellent. Uh, right, okay, you've already heard him there, giving out a rare 10. Uh, <laughs> Dave Peeling, what have you got for us today? Okay, thank you very much, Al. Uh, oh, a rare 11 even, sorry. I'm misquoting you there. Um, thank you. So, um, I've two to uh, to talk about today that I've played since the last time we recorded. Uh, the first one I'm going to talk about is Call of Duty World War Two. Call of It's next in the... Uh, in main instalment of the Call of Duty series I think this is the 14th released uh, in November of 2017 it's the first time that Call of Duty has gone back to its World War 2 roots in uh, in about a decade um, it's set in um, in in Europe in, uh, in the kind of latter half of the Second World War as you um as you focus on playing as, um, well, in a single-player story, a member of a squad in the U.S. Army as they um, storm the beaches at Normandy and go on to uh, take um, enter Germany at the end of the single-player. Like every Call of Duty, this has a very... It has a, a large part of playing the game is the multiplayer aspect, and I'll get onto that in a moment, but the single-player, for me, was what made me most interested in this game. I remember playing original Call of Duties back on um, back on the PC 
um, back in the early in the early noughties, along with original Medal of Honours, well before multiplayer uh, was a was a was a key feature, and and I always enjoyed those, and this felt like it could be potentially very nostalgic for me. Um, the single player, uh, you, you take on, uh, you take on the role um, of a of a private in a in a squad, and um, through cutscenes and the story of the game, you build a relationship with those other people in your squad, uh, including uh, the lieutenant that's responsible for the platoon and the the, the evil sergeant who uh, who drives you into ever more deadly situations. Uh, for his own troubled reasons, the, the the core mechanics are exactly what you'd expect from a first-person shooter. Um, they they don't differ greatly from from those of other of other games. There's, there's not much new here mechanics-wise. One interesting point to note is that unlike every single first-person shooter since the Halo franchise, um, there's in the single player there is no uh, automatically recovering health you have to go and collect health packs in a rather old school throwback um that said um there are there's never i i, I never came across any threat that i would not have enough health packs um I, I was playing on a on a difficulty that meant that the combat itself was challenging but the health pack mechanic was was not um and same with with ammunition you could always find another weapon on the floor to pick up and, and play so that that wasn't really um that really wasn't part of the mechanic really um the story is is really really well done i really enjoyed the story it bogged down a, a little bit when there was some just fairly standard first person shooter levels to play but from the fairly dramatic opening scenes uh, storming the beaches at Normandy and taking the bunkers uh, that overlook the beach um, through to a, a spectacular sequence in the Ardennes forest uh, with snow in the pine trees as you're being shelled and trees are exploding all around you um, there, are, there are some real highlights here um, the uh, the single player is is a good ten or twelve hours long. It's probably worth the money, um, just about for that. Perhaps not a, a original purchase price, but perhaps perhaps by now. And then the game has two other pretty core features: um, online multiplayer in the traditional uh, sense, using the similar kind of maps that you've you've played on in the single player, uh, in kind of team scenarios, and also Nazi zombies. Those familiar with Call of Duty uh, franchises won't need Nazi zombies explaining to them, but uh, for those who haven't uh, come across it, you um, you play um, you, you find yourself stranded in a creepy town, and uh, hordes of zombies spawn in waves, and you have to defeat those whilst also overcoming. Um, absolutely ludicrous objectives to build some kind of super weapon or to uh, defeat a, a, a boss I've not played Nazi Zombies since the first Nazi Zombies I can't believe how often I'm saying Nazi Zombies um, <laughs> <laughs> since the first Nazi Zombies uh, back in kind of 2004, 2005 something like that um, when it was literally you just you were in a in a 
in a house and zombies came through the windows and you just had to kill as many zombies as you could until you couldn't kill any zombies anymore because you were dead. Um, this is the first time I've played one with these these ludicrous objectives and it does ramp up the, the pressure. Uh, it does make it um, more focused um, running around trying to open valves and um, click switches in in colour order, in coordination with your friends in the party because the switches are at different corners of the maps and they have to be done in sequence but within a certain set amount of time whilst clearing relentless zombies that are falling out of the walls and the ceilings and giving you jump scares as you move around corners is, um, I, I found an awful lot of fun. Um, I, it's it's a feature that is um, it's not marketed as being one that um, is a kind of core part of the game but um, it's definitely the bit of it that I've played most the one downside to that though is that the single player story um, is so it's very emotionally driven it it there's um, r relatively rarely for a World War two based game there is quite a lot of attention paid to um, the Holocaust. I won't go into it in too much detail because it might give away some of the story. But if you're going to, to if you've determined that you're going to model your first person Second World War shooter on the serious, um, on the serious societal issues that, that the the war um, kind of uh, raised, to then also have a Nazi zombies level pinned into the same game does somewhat detract from that it seems somewhat jarring to move from one to the other um, the moving on to the standard online multiplayer um, it's it's exactly usual call of duty fair um, the, the new features this time include a kind of headquarters area which is essentially a menu screen but you you move through it um, with your with your um, with your with your trooper in a third person scene it, it's supposed to be revolutionary and interesting but it's not it's just a way of walking between menu screens um, <laughs> you rank up your soldier with a combination of uh, three different units of currency something that I'll come back to when I talk about my next game as well which is overly confusing I do not understand what the point of having three different currencies is one is accrued through playing games one is accrued through through completing challenges something like um, a number of headshots or number of kills or number of kills by class or, or something like that um, and another is premium and you can only pay for um, this game has a, a loot box type scheme called airdrops I think um, deliberately designed to look really cool in your headquarters area you throw a smoke grenade a plane th flies over and a it parachute drops a crate in front of you which explodes and reveals these really well crafted cards that give you features all points designed to make it look really really um, really attractive and sexy and to encourage you to spend money to do it over and over again the the features themselves um, are are rewarded fairly quickly through gameplay. I played it for uh, a couple of dozen hours, maybe, and I I found like I I ranked up fairly quickly. I'm not a super 
I wouldn't even say I was above average kind of uh, first person shooter kind of multiplayer kind of guy but I found like I unlocked quite a bit of it myself so I wasn't totally sure what the point of spending all this extra money was the big downside though is um, the amount of content available when you first purchase the game the 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 trademark mode in this uh, in this game is the war mode it seems very much based on the operations uh, that you got in um, Battlefront One and uh, sorry Battlefield One and the original and, and Star Wars Battlefront of last year, where um, objectives are set out for an attacking force to capture or destroy. A defending force has to hold them back. Once they are captured or destroyed, then you move on to the next phase of the battle, and they can they can last quite a long time. They can last an hour, hour and a half of this objective driven play and they're really well done and points are given for playing the objective in such a way that it encourages objective play there's very little people sat, sat at the back sniping just for the fun of it um, to get up the scoreboards you need to you need to be playing the objectives and that's really really well done the community seems to be better than that that I'm familiar with from Call of Duty previously um, but there are only two maps for the war mode when you buy the game there are only two maps available when you originally buy the game. Uh, one, Storming the Beaches at Normandy, another where you have to transport, you have to um, support moving tanks through a forest. When you're playing each of those for an hour and a half each time you play them, the maps get very samey. Um, it's, there's not enough content there for to sustain long-term playing of the game. The There is a third map available to those people who pre-ordered the game, and I'm sure you can pay extra and have it uh, to, to download it there will be DLC to come which no doubt you'll have to pay for which all seems um, fundamentally wrong to me I understand it as a model and I get that it's based on uh, kind of mobile gaming type models but if you've paid £50 for a game at release and you only get access to two ways to, to two levels if, if, if you want you, what you want to do is go play this and play multiplayer which is a real key feature of Call of Duty. Its it, it, its main uh, level is the war mode. Its main mode is war mode, and there are only two levels on it. That is not enough to 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 justify the amount of cost this game is. I'm not saying that there has to be millions. I'm not saying there has to be dozens, but a little bit more variety than that is. I would say is is is, um, is required is a requirement of spending this amount of money on a game. So because of all that, whilst I did enjoy the single player, I thought it was one of the more interesting single players I've played in a while. Um, and I did enjoy playing Nazi Zombies. I did enjoy playing Nazi Zombies for and um, the social aspect of playing with with friends. Um, this game has already gone back to be traded in. Um, the the cost of it, I I couldn't justify the amount of of time that I dedicated to it the, the, compared to something like Super Mario Odyssey I realise it's a different thing um, but I could, I could put hundreds of hours into that game for the same amount of cost as this game um, which was only 10 hours on the single player and then an extremely repetitive online multiplayer so um, it wasn't as disappointing as I, was, as I thought it might have been so I'm kind of tempted to give it more credit than it might be due because I was so sceptical to start off with.
but um, I think it's a if you if you're into Call of Duty, you'll like it. You'll find it exactly what you want it to be. If you're coming to it to relive your experiences playing uh, Allied Assault or or the original Call of Duties, um, you're not gonna you're not really gonna find it in the single player. You will very briefly, but it won't be as all in, it won't be as engrossing as it was originally. Um, so I, I'd be tempted to give this a kind of seven, something like that, kind of score. Cool, yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of people I know just at work play, you know, exclusively play FIFA and Call of Duty, uh, which immediately puts me off. But um, yeah, I, <laughs> I cannot believe that you only get that amount of content for your money and you have to pay for everything else. It reminds me of, again, to talk about FIFA. Uh, people who rec- spend hundreds of pounds uh, for their ultimate team, which is not something I totally understand, but um, to me that's totally exploitative of the market. But um, is anybody else a COD player um, in the group? I mean, I've played, I've played, I've played quite a few. I stopped. I think uh, Modern Warfare Three was maybe no, maybe Black Ops Two. Whichever one of the, yeah, maybe Black Ops Two was the last one I think I played. Um, and I, I think I just got sick of the sick of the repetitive nature of it, maybe. Um, and I thought, oh, maybe I'll get it every two years or every three. Um, but given given Dave's description of this one, I think maybe I'll wait and pick it up uh, in six months or seven months' time, maybe yeah. when when the price has gone down a fair bit. I, I can't see me buying it at, at release for the level of content he says you get. Yeah, disappointing. Um, Clive, I, I'm guessing you've never really been a Call of Duty fan? No, I've never really been a first-person shooter, standard first-person shooter fan. I love Overwatch and the ones who have, have do something slightly different. And I quite like futuristic ones often. Um, but, yeah, I've never been into... Good. World War Two or stuff doesn't appeal to me whatsoever. I mean, I find the whole thing very interesting, but I don't like running around shooting stuff in a world war setting i have nothing against people doing it but it's just not yeah. for me uh so yeah i'm not particularly interested in this but um you're kind of pro i've played you know a couple of cards around people's houses and stuff and we've had good fun what's is that, that sorry is that because you're so you're kind of pro nazi you you don't really like running around shooting yeah no, I, no 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 hang on you've got clive all wrong he's indifferent to nazis you know he doesn't you know he's neutral you know no opinion <laughs> Well, I'll take their money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Um, Clive, did you have... Oh, no, it's not your turn anyway. It's, what am I yeah. talking about? We're going <laughs> to James Flux for his second game. Uh, yeah, my second game, it'll be a slightly shorter review, this one. Um, but the second game I've got to talk about is Gone Home, uh, the console edition. Um, developed initially by the Fulbright Company, and then um, the console version um, was done with some help from Midnight City. And again, initially published by the Fulbright Company, and then the um, console version had some additional input from uh, Majestic Entertainment. Um, the game was originally released on the 15th of August 2013, but the console version um, only came out uh, last year on the 12th of February 2016. Um, effectively, Gone Home is a first person exploration game, really, I suppose is probably the best way to describe it. Um, I'll just kick straight in. It's it's really story focused, um, and the story revolves around the protagonist. I suppose 
um, to an extent the protagonist Katie, who you play, um, who's a 21-year-old girl who returns to America from um, uh, a year out travelling around Europe. Um, in the meantime, her parents have moved to a new home with her sister um, and she returns back to America, back to this new house for the first time to find it empty uh, with a note on the door from her sister Samantha um, imploring her not to explore where she, where she is um, and you effectively return to the empty home um, and the basis of the game is exploring the home um, through gradually through unlocking different rooms and finding secret passages and rebuilding the story of what has happened to your family um, whilst whilst you have been away in essence um, I won't go into too much more detail than that um, the gameplay is very simplistic you in, in essence you can walk around the house like I say some initially some of the rooms starts locked and there are perhaps some puzzles to find like to try and find or you have to look around for a code to unlock a unlock a door or maybe a key or a secret passage or something like that um, but broadly you can walk around look around and pick up items that's broadly all you can really do um, but the real focus as I say is on the story as you pick up some items and find different things um, sort of audio journals from your sister Samantha come on or, or broadly from Samantha there are a few from some other people but mainly mainly from Samantha um, come on and explain to you um, what's happening with her at that, that various point in her life based on based on what you've picked up so I think an example is one is her school bag um, that you find relatively early on explains her going to a new school and that sort of thing um, in terms of prose, the games, the, st the style of the game is really good, and it, it sets a, it sort of cleverly sets a tone. Um, it's set in 1995 and has that sort of nostalgic feel a bit of um, sort of video cassette tapes strewn all over the living room and um, sort of some things that you don't see perhaps as regularly now as you used to littered around the house, and it sort of serves to provide a bit of a nostalgic feel. But also the game manages by the way it's set out. When you first come in, you, f you feel a bit on edge. The, the house is completely empty, all of the rooms are dark. And obviously it's, un it's an unfamiliar setting to you, but it's also an unfamiliar setting to an extent for Katie because it's this, the parents have moved into this home while she's been away. And so you feel a little on edge as you start, and then gradually as you walk around the house and you turn all the lights on and you realise, do you know what, there's not an axe murderer hiding somewhere that's going to jump out at you. That's not what the game's about. You start to feel more comfortable in that kind of nostalgic uh, sort of setting um, for most most people that play sort of helps to serve to make it feel like perhaps it is I mean not quite a not quite a home feeling but you gradually feel more comfortable as the game progresses um, so yeah and that nostalgic feel that's nostalgic feel also gives you a kind of it makes you feel more comfortable as the game progresses and it does a really good job of that um, I think another pro of this game is that the story is genuinely intriguing it's it's clearly focused on the story there is no game sort of interesting gameplay aspect or anything like that it's, it's the story that really really drives it um, and as you find out about obviously your family and what's happened whilst you've been away um, that's that's really the focus and I think it genuinely is intriguing it deals at some point with some um, quite serious um, and occasionally one particular influence is, is quite dark in terms of story um, but it, it does so really well because you stumble across it yourself and there's no sort of judgment or tone. It's all about your 
personal opinion as you explore the house and find this evidence and find out what's happened. Um, and so it, and like I say, the, the story, Sam, Sam's story is perhaps the main one that you unlock. You actually don't find out very little about the character you're playing, Katie, because it's all about what's happened to her family. There are a few postcards from her while she's been away that explain the places she's visited and things to an extent, but the real focus is on the family and not actually the character you're playing, which is quite interesting. Um, in terms of cons, the game's quite short. Obviously, that's the case with quite a few indie games. Um, and if you paid a lot of money for it, I can imagine that perhaps you'd maybe be unhappy with the level of content that's there. But broadly speaking, I don't think it's expensive. I got it for free as a Games With Gold download i can imagine playstation will do the same thing at some point um as that tends to happen with the cross-platform games they tend to get them free at various different times but even if not i think it's, it's i think it's going to be your relatively standard indie game price it's not it's certainly not a 50 quid game um so i don't think it matters too much that it's too short i think probably the biggest um negative to the game however it's there's not really much replayability i would say the game's heavily, heavily story-focused. Like I say, it's, it's really the only element, exploring and find out the story. And whilst there's some incentive to go back and perhaps pick up journals, um, some of Sam's journals that you missed or something like that, because you actually don't have to complete every one, as long as you get round through the house and unlock all the rooms and finally get to the final one, which ends the story, there's no need to collect all of the journals. And so I was interested to go back and collect, I think, I think I'd missed maybe five or six, um, in my first run through out of I think there's about if I remember rightly there's either 20 or 40 I can't remember um, but it's definitely a round number and I'd missed a few and so I went back and, and and tried to find those where I sort of knew they'd be based on the order of the ones I'd missed um, but other than that I, whilst I've enjoyed the game I'm, I'm unlikely to go back into it there's a few achievements that if you're perhaps a big completionist you might focus on going back into the game and getting those like I think there's one to complete the game within uh, I think it might be three minutes or something because obviously whilst you can play the game around to explore and find everything actually where the key hidden for the last room is as soon as you know what that is you could go get that straight away and get up into the attic um, where the game ends so there's I think an achievement to do that and there's a few other achievements to get certain bits and bobs and do certain things around the house and you you might want to go and do that but I wasn't particularly interested to do that um, and even then they're only short things that you're going to dip in and do, that you're not going to replay the whole story to do those things um, and so I think that's probably the biggest negative of the game in terms of a summary if you've got an afternoon free I think there are much worse ways you can spend it than playing this game, I completed it in there or thereabouts a Saturday afternoon I might have, I might have finished some final bits off on the Sunday but broadly speaking um, I finished the game on a Saturday afternoon and I really enjoyed it. I found the story really engrossing and that's why I completed it in one afternoon because I genuinely wanted to find out what was happening um, and what happened to the family and there was some, in and like I say, some interesting topics are dealt with within the story, some of which are perhaps darker than you would expect for a kind of game of this type. All the actions um, sort of stuck within a rather, albeit mansion-like house, the confined space is packed with so much stuff to find that you you do look around and you do genuinely enjoy the exploration but again it's it's really only a sort of one-time experience so I'd give the game maybe a seven or eight in terms of I genuinely enjoyed it but I'm not going to play it again um so, so it might be one to 
um, get when it's cheap, <laughs> go through it, enjoy it, have the experience, and then then move on. <coughs> cool. There's not enough of those type of games anyway. I, I quite like it, especially if you're not paying loads for it. I think it's fine to have a you know a game that's like th- two or three hours long. Yeah, when I was writing my review, I thought whilst I haven't played it, it sounded similar to what Dave said. Uh, everyone's gone to the Rapture is like the focus is on the exploration, not not the sort of gameplay aspect or anything like that. But because the story's yeah. good, it's and interesting. You you that's what drives you along. But once you've then the, the downside to that being once you've done that story, obviously that's you've got everything out of the game that there is, so you're not going to go back. But how often do you replay a game anyway to be fair I'm not another you won't be surprised now I'm not that familiar with this um I got, I got a feeling Dave might be maybe I'm wrong you have a feeling Dave what sorry might you might be familiar with this game um I uh I I, I mean I'm, I'm familiar with the concept if that's what you're saying oh right so you haven't played it before <laughs> no um I I think I have. Um, I just I'm, I'm really racking my brain to see if I can remember <laughs> anything about it in particular, but I, I can't. <laughs> right? Okay. No worries. I don't. I don't know why I had it in my head that you played this. No, I've pre- played it. Gone home. Yeah. Right. But it was also a similar to Dave. It was a while ago, and I can't remember that much. I do remember like the attic and the house, and I remember enjoying it. And I think I agreed with Flux. You know, sort of seven or eight out of ten at the time. But I can't remember that much about it to to comment on it. Was yeah, I think I, like Flux, I was engrossed in the story and trying to go from room to room, trying to kind of figure it out. And I thought it was well I, done. I think I think um, that what I took, I think part, maybe part of the reason that I don't remember too much about it is I was just wait. I felt like the whole time I was waiting for a jump scare. Yeah, spoiler. Like I said at the beginning, you you definitely feel like that's going to be there. Yeah, and, and, and so I think I think house. I had all my and all my all my guard was up the whole time, and I didn't let anything come in. Uh, that's quite intense. Well, I listened to an interview with the with um, one of the developers beforehand, who sort of he mentioned that, and he said like. We get it. We it to an extent that that was obviously a decision to make it more atmospheric, but he he genuinely said in the interview at the beginning, you probably won't believe me, and you'll wait for that jump scare. I promise you, it's not coming. Yeah. <laughs> and so that perhaps made me, whilst I like I said, I still had it at the beginning. I then did settle into it more and didn't and knew it wasn't coming. No, so that I maybe gave me that aspect that you you didn't have. No, I read that same quote, but it just made me think that it was all the more likely there was going to be a jump scare. <laughs> just no so, trust. Absolutely. No, uh, yeah. I have trust issues, absolutely. With games developers, yeah, anyway. Well, yeah, absolutely. I do. <laughs> so Dave, ha- Dave has trust issues. Flux is gullible, although correct in this situation. <laughs> it's not gullible if you're right. It's right, is it? <laughs> <laughs> See, is it just me, Hugh? I'm a lot less uh, snobbish about jump scares in games than I am in movies so for instance the whole idea of a jump scare in a movie to me is just a bit cheap whereas I don't know why in a game I think it's more because it's more visceral you're more part of the experience I'm less snobby about it does anyone do you get what I mean mean by that? I don't have a problem with a jump scare I enjoy a jump scare in a game that's like a horror game or a game where the jump scare is appropriate but this game that wasn't the (laughs) The focus was on the exploration and the story, and I think a jump scare would have just ruined it. I mean, it's, that's not that's not what it's about. 
So I have no problem with a jump scare in a game. In fact, I don't really have much of a problem with a jump scare in a film. The difficulty, obviously, that they found with, I think, Jaws, was it that they said that the problem is it only works once. So when you see the eyeball in Jaws, you get that jump scare and it gets you that reaction, but then it diminished from some of the jump scare style stuff later on in Jaws because you, you, once you've had it once, apparently it's something that doesn't happen again for a, a period of time. All right, okay, interesting. Cool. Right, uh, Clive, I don't believe you had a second one to talk about, is that right? Um, not not massively, no. Um, I'm currently playing Mass Effect Andromeda, which I'll talk about quickly. Um, I'm enjoying it, I'm enjoying it. It's got kind of, not pan necessarily, but uh, middling reviews uh, when it came out, and I managed to pick it up cheap, so I was like, I'll give it a go, because I loved Mass Effect 2 I played on the PS3. Um, it's, I think the problem is with it, it's... I think they've ironed out a few that have not found it particularly buggy. There has definitely been some buggy moments, but uh, it's not been anything game-breaking. But it's very... Some of the stuff hasn't aged that well. Like, I think the kind of shooting mechanic in the third person, the way that works, is still the same as it was in Mass Effect 2. And it just feels a bit... A little bit clunky um, compared to games now, uh, particularly when you compare it to something that's kind of as smooth as Uncharted or something like that. But um, I still really like the the kind of space exploration of it, the main story I'm enjoying. I'm doing none of the side quests, so, because I'm just not, I don't know, A, because I haven't got time, and B, I'm not particularly bothered. I just want to get through the main story and kind of see where that goes. But I'm enjoying it more than I thought I would, so I'd, as of now, I'd recommend picking it up if you can get it for like, you know, 10, 15 quid. It's a good, nice little experience if you enjoyed Mass Effect 2. Did you Did you only play Mass Effect 2 or did you play number one and number three as well? Um, I didn't ever get around to one and three. No. <laughs> See, so. I, I'm a huge fan of the series. Uh, that trilogy is one of my favourite of all time. Um, so, I, I, but I haven't picked up this one um, mainly based on the reviews because it just I didn't want to be disappointed by it. I mean, what? Yeah. Narrative wise, kind of story wise, is it any good? Is it? Um... Um, I'm enjoying it. It took a while to get into it, but it's um, yeah, they're kind of trying to start a new human colony on a different planet, basically, and. It ties in. I think there's a lot you could bite into if you're into the whole like side story stuff. There's, there is loads to do. Um, it just feels a bit. Uh, I guess the main characters aren't quite as memorable, but they. The more you play it, actually, the more I'm starting to like them quite a lot. So I don't know. I think the problem with it is it's quite. It's very similar, but I think you might st- uh, enjoy it <laughs> still. It doesn't do anything new. One really. of the main things I enjoyed about the Mass Effect games is having to make huge decisions. Like there's one part in, I can't remember, I think it might have even been the first one, where you have to decide between committing genocide basically, which would which would protect the rest of the galaxy or taking pity on this race in the hope that they will stop their ways which is a massive <laughs> moral decision but um, one that I quite enjoyed. Yeah, there's, there's similar stuff but it all, I think it kind of all ends up feeding down the same path but the, it's more like do you want this person to die or this person or this group of people to die or this group of people to die <laughs> kind of decisions uh, so far there's not the whole you know the, was it Paragon and whatever else it was called where it basically good and yeah, a bit of a maverick there isn't that mechanic anymore which I don't miss to be honest I thought that was a bit weird it was a bit too like black and white <laughs> if you know what I mean Yeah. whereas yeah this doesn't do that in this which which I'm fine with yeah I'm enjoying it I've got kind of hooked into it like I did with Mass Effect 2 it's not having the same you know when I played Mass Effect 2 I absolutely loved it it is probably one of my top you know 20 games or so of all time but this isn't going to be up there 
but I'm still having fun with it. It's a good, I think it's going to be a good solid sort of 8 out of 10, which for 15 quid is worth it. <laughs> cool. Uh, anybody else um, played this game or a fan of the original Mass Effect series? No. I played, I think, Mass Effect 1, but I didn't complete it. I, my, um, one, of our, one of my friends is a huge, huge fan of the series and he, he really, really enjoyed it and said I should go back and try it again but I, I didn't get into it from the first one and then obviously didn't complete the series because I do think the first one is the most I tried to get into the first one after the second one and I think the first one's quite clunky and it's hard to get into I think two would be a better starting off point or it was for me and you don't have to necessarily have played one like I hadn't so but I did find I went back to one and I found it quite hard to play <laughs> Yeah, I think it, I think hadn't, it, hadn't aged particularly well. I think it. Yeah, I know what you mean now, but I remember at the time I found it. Yeah, I think that's the thing. If you'd played it at the time, it would have been fine. But what if you'd played two first? You were like, oh, well, <laughs> one feels way clunkier, and it's kind of hard to get past that. Or it was for me. Okay, um, I believe our final games discussion is Dave Paling's second. Go for it, Dave. Well, um, actually, I was going to say that given how long we've been talking for already, that um, I might save this for another time. Okay, okay. You, can you give us a tantalising hint at what you'll be talking about next time? Um, Star Wars Battlefront 2. Right, tantalising. Oh, wow, yeah. wow. okay. Subtle. Wow, yeah. I'm excited to hear nice. about that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've, I have been I've been playing it for, um, for, a, for a few days now. Um, I think basically I, uh, I, I, I re- I've, re- I've been really enjoying it. Um, there's obviously a lot to talk about in terms of its, uh, of its launch, the way that it's, it, it works, um, kind of the mechanics behind getting into the game and leveling up and those types of things. I think, um, it's, it's worthy of quite a, a relatively long discussion and, um, I'm not sure that we have time for it. We shall do it next time. Mm. Put that. Put all your thoughts on hold. Done. Right. Okay. Well, that just about wraps things up. So it's about that time where um, we make a very long and massively overused joke. Um, <laughs> yet again, I'm going to shirk the responsibility, having taken it for um, maybe fifty of the shows. I'm going to dump that responsibility on James Flux. <laughs> wow. I know uh, Dave said we've been talking for some time, but uh, w- what time is it right now, Clive? It's pluck time! <laughs> At StickAroundCast on Twitter, slash StickAroundPodcast on Facebook. That basically just destroyed my throat. <laughs> <laughs> it was dying, and now it's dead. Um, StickAroundPodcast on Instagram. Stick around, I think, on Patreon if you want to throw some shackles our way. I know they've just changed their terms and conditions and various things have changed and loads of people are pulling out but uh, we don't have that issue because we don't have anyone <laughs> patreoning us anyway so yeah and and don't fine. don't give us bitcoin because uh, yeah apparently that's not it, it may well be booming at the minute but i'm just irritated by constantly people saying oh look at how much value my bitcoin's worth bubbles gonna burst <laughs> really <laughs> where are you hanging out i don't know just people on facebook and um, with a oh, okay. picture of their bitcoin thing and, and i'm thinking to myself you're just trying to get me to buy bitcoin <laughs> yeah, I've never, I've never experienced it, but I'm not really on Facebook anymore, so maybe that's why. Um, stick around podcast at gmail.com if you want to send us an email. If you've got any questions, we'll answer it. You can find us on any podcast app. 
just look for Stick Around, subscribe. Please give us five-star or one-star reviews on iTunes. The choice is yours, but nothing in the middle, please. <laughs> and I believe that is more or less it. Yeah. Oh, stickaroundpodcast.com is our website. You can see a picture of us all, except for Josh, because he wasn't there. Hopefully one day that'll happen. <laughs> Maybe and, one uh, day. All the episodes are there, and there's a nice green background, so check it out. Yeah, I believe... If you hang with me one minute, the next time we'll be back with TV shows. Yes, that sounds right. Yes. Cool. We'll, we'll do that one soon. We'll try and get it on the reg, because it's going to be a top fives very soon, yeah, isn't it? It is. Cool. Right. Uh, I've been Alex Wayne. He's been Clive Fisher. Bye. He's been Dave Peeling. And hopefully he will continue to be. <laughs> and uh, he's been James Flux. For our listeners, and since I probably uh, won't be on again, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Right, thanks very much for listening, guys. Uh, Come back next time. Uh, In fact, you may even have... The next one might even be the best of 2017. Who knows? Who knows what will happen? Yeah, it might well be. No, yeah, we literally don't know. We literally have no idea what's going on. Where am I? (laughs) Stick around. Stick around. No, seriously, where am I? Why are you help? Thank you all for listening. Rest assured that you have found the best podcast in the universe. It's Stick Around.